the Pro Tools Expert podcast with James Ivey, Julian Rogers, and Alan Salabank. Well, good evening and welcome to the Pro Tools Expert podcast number 306. It's the 12th of February 2018. My name's James Ivey. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Alan Salabank. So, deals. Have we got any this week, Julian? Uh, we've teamed up with E-Instruments to offer an exclusive bundle that gives you two amazing session keys, grand pianos, at almost two for the price of one. Normally, each piano sells for €99.99, and there's no option to buy both the session keys, grand S and Y, in a bundle. However, we've got this exclusive bundle of both the session keys, grand S and Y, for just £99. Uh, you can also check out the deals from our partners in the partner deal section on the deals page. So let's crack on with some talking points, and these are sponsored by our friends at Universal Audio. Over to you, Fab. Good morning, children. This is Fab Dupont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast Talking Points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. Looking to get that big analog console sound from your in the box mix? Well, if you buy and register any new UAD2 DSP accelerator between January the 1st and March the 31st in 2018, you will get the world's most authentic Neve, API, SSL and UA console emulation plugins for Mac and Windows with a value of up to $1,196, absolutely free as part of the UAD Classic Consoles plugin promotion. Click on the link in the podcast notes for more info. So, the first talking point this evening, gentlemen. Um, are shortcuts the prevailing spirit of audio, of the audio production age? This is one of Russ's Saturday morning thinking points, or as I like to nickname them, Russ's rants. Um, discuss. <laughs> I'll get in trouble for that, I know, but hey. Um, Julian, do you want to dive in first on this one? Oh, I'm just writing a couple of things that I was going to say after you guys. Um, I, shortcuts. I'm all in favour of shortcuts, but I think shortcuts are things that you do once you've uh, done the work. Uh, this is uh, this is this kind of. I can hear my former self uh, berating students here, but um, the amount of times that I've I've had a kind of a conversation with someone saying, "Oh, why are you doing it like that?" Saying, oh, "I always do it like that." And me going, you've only ever done it twice. Are you sure that that's necessarily, you know, this kind of idea about when you've, uh, when you've established your working method, it makes no sense at all to start from square one every single time. That is daft. And there's loads of really useful ways of doing it. But there is something to be said for exploring. And while it's true that time is money, it's not money for everyone. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like some people have more time than they have money and some people have more money than they have time. If you, Well, that's, that actually falls down completely because it doesn't work the other way around. But my point stays that, for example, if you're right at the beginning of your career and you're figuring stuff out, then explore. Um, however, you know, I, I save my setup for things. When I'm making a video, I don't set up the, the session from scratch. Why on earth would I do that? I mean, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about, isn't it, about reinventing the wheel? Yes, I think this is one of those um, where uh, the title of an article could be a little... Um, it's not necessarily... If you, if you read the title, you'd think Russ was talking about keyboard shortcuts, I think. Um, but... This was all about uh, shortcuts over over what I think sometimes are often confused with shortcuts, shortcuts, which is cutting corners. 
And I think they are two very different things. Would you agree, Alan? I would say so, yeah. I mean, because I think uh, the sort of shortcuts that Russ was talking about are the the magic bullet one-knob plugins style plugins, I think. The ones that uh, solve a problem for you without you having to think about it. And, I mean, from a post-production angle, nowadays we're having to deal with exponentially so much more stuff. So you've got multi-track location recording, you've got immersive audio, you've got a track count of at least 200 tracks for just a period sitcom. You've got, you know, so any... um, well, I would say shortcuts, but any uh, ways of getting all that done in an actually a smaller time frame than we used to have 10, 20 years ago, they're all welcome. But, however, there's no point relying on a magic bullet if you don't understand what it's doing. And if you don't understand what it's doing, you won't know what to do if you're suddenly devoid of it for one reason or the other. So, I mean, I landed my first job in a studio because I was able to think of my feet and re- I reversed engineered an effect using guitar pedals that we needed when a piece of outboard uh, the lead mixer had come to rely on literally burst into flames in the corner. So, um, you know, and there's there's other anecdotes, like I say. I mean, I had a physics teacher who um, used to, after filling a blackboard full of formula and taking us all through the theory of something and how to do an experiment, would then turn around and go... Well, of course, when you do this for a job, you'll load it into a machine, press one button and get the answer. However, (laughs) the answer is useless without knowing what you're asking. So, I mean, that's the thing. I think think one of the points with Russ is, I think, um, I mean, I've come across this, as, as, as Julian said, with people who are inexperienced who have just been told, press that button, load that plug in, apply this setting, export. And they've not been told what they're actually doing. So um, that's that's the thing, and it becomes it becomes learning a process by parrot, parrot fashion without truly understanding what you're doing, which I think is what Russ is getting at. You know, getting yes, at saying I, that's I, what we need to get back to. Yeah, I totally agree. There is a as we're on anecdotes just for a moment. Um, back in the day when I was a wee lad, um, apparently once upon a time I was quite good at maths and did okay, you know, did A-level um, maths and all that sort of stuff. And one of our tutors had, um, his mantra was, show your working. Yeah. Because if you get the answer wrong through maybe a step down the line, your working will still get you a result. It will still get you some marks. It may not be full marks, but it will at least help someone understand how where you were going, how you got to y- your solution, be that rightly or wrongly. Hmm. Now, obviously, in a um, classroom environment, you can then be corrected and your working can help you learn. And I think that's, again, it's exactly where Russ is going. If, if you know the long-form way of doing things... Uh, it's it's to be commended. You know the official way to do something. Now, I don't think Russ is um, having a go at things like um, should we call them the the, the magic bullet plugins? Mm. Things like the Andrew Sheps Omni Channel. Now, there's about seven plugins worth of stuff which you can just drop in in one go. Um, I, I, personally, I, I think those sort of um, 
the one knob plugins, the the celebrity plugins, the um, artist endorsed plugins are brilliant because they get you to where you want to go very quickly. Um, yes, there is every reality that now with the Pro Tools track preset feature, you could create those plugin chains and those kind of um, setups from templates as just as quickly as dropping a plugin in. But I know which is neater. This, I also know what's the more vulnerable if you're actually um, going outside your own studio, which is that is having everything all on one plugin. Um, because it only takes the studio you're going to to not have that plugin authorization or the plugin installed or being on a different version of the operating system so they can't have it. It's, um, and that's because this is what I come up against all the time, which is why I steer well clear of channel strip style plugins. Um, I stick to stock as much as possible and I, I do things the, the, you know, the same way as I've done since version five, but, in you know, and it, and it keeps me compatible with the outside world because I'm using a well-trodden path, um, and I'm not sort of locking anybody into anything absolutely exclusive. Um, because I had to recently deliver a, a, a project to a studio which was running version eleven, uh, didn't have any of the um, plugins that I had anyway, which weren't stock. Um, so you know, I, I fell back on using commit, um, and then having to you know describe to the mixer how to recreate that uh, processing should they need to. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you need to learn what's what's going on really, definitely. And um, I think I would really advise if you are ever going to go outside of your own studio with something, don't rely on the signature one box plugins. I, I would really advise that. I've I've got quite a, um, a salient point here, thinking about what's been going on the last month or so, and this is uh, track presets in Pro Tools twenty eighteen. Now that's something that I've kind of I've been kind of quietly grumbling about the prospect of for quite a while, just because my um, most of my experience of track presets has been pretty negative actually and it comes from working in education and it comes specifically from Logic actually and uh, the track presets in Logic where you go to that library and you pull sounds out and it loads up and instantiates a load of plugins on your channel strip setting. And um, I, I, I did not get on with those at all because it discouraged experimentation. It kind of like gave you stuff that someone else had done and arranged it all nicely. And it was also encouraged some really inefficient working practices in terms of system resources. Then I saw what because um, I saw it come in Pro Tools 2018. I'm oh, here we go, you know. And uh, I saw what they'd done, and I loved it. It's great, just because there is some factory content, very little, actually, when you look at it. It's just kind of some examples. But there isn't huge reams of of uh, lists of, of, of stuff that they've done. But it makes it very straightforward to to create your own user library. I have no issue with, with user-created presets at all that's absolutely appropriate and brilliant and, mm. and the the best kind of shortcut time saver that there is bypassing that whole process and just grabbing something someone else has made i've never been that comfortable with i'm not gonna say it's wrong it's just not for me but uh, it, it puts me in mind of a of a of a very old phrase which is that thing about um uh teach them how to fish 
uh, or give a man a fish, you know that thing? Um, yeah, teach a man, we should yeah. Probably give a man, give a man a fish that language, for a actually, you know. Give yeah. a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach a man a fish and he eats for, for a lifetime. Exactly, and, and you see how that's relevant, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I want to learn to fish. <laughs> I don't just want, <laughs> I don't just want the meal. But, but you know. But actually, what I've found from my, um, experiences trying to get assistants and interns and all that sort of stuff is when you say i i do it this way they go i i I didn't learn that way so okay but this is the way we're going to do it because this is the way i do it and i believe this is the correct way to do it um be that putting microphones in front of a drum kit or uh, how to change strings on a guitar. Okay, it might not be the official orthodox, and in actually in most cases it probably is totally the normal way of doing most things. Um, setting up a patch bay, for example. I- I've had more arguments with people who say they know the right way to set up a patch bay. Um, the more I investigate these sort of things, the more I find there is no right and actually 100% hard and fast way to do a patch bay. Um there's there's only the way that all the regular operators agree on. <laughs> That's yeah. the problem. And I mean, I learned this from working in facilities where you you know you don't have your own studio. You 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 hot desk depending on what you need to do uh, on the job. So if you're doing a Dolby theatrical release, you go into the Dolby theatrical theatre. If you're doing TV, you go into one of the TV rooms. But the um and because of that, because of also the other way, when you're working in a facility, it's quite likely that due to shifting schedules, you might need to hand the project over. So you need to establish workflows uh, and such like that. But that's different to relying on templates. Because I mean, I got burnt recently because I started playing with the Dolby Atmos home production suite. And I started by opening up the template sessions that come with it as a guide. And I started getting really, really confused and really, really lost. And so I had to then pick the brains of a good friend of mine um, who then explained basically, you know, use the templates as an educational reference, but build your own because they are actually already out of date. So, um, you know, you're not going to get what you are capable of doing by using the templates. Um, you know, just use those to understand what's going on and then build your own from scratch, um, which was the best advice I've ever been given, really, to be honest. Completely off topic from where we are, um, I was actually fortunate enough to sit and listen to some some music in Dolby Atmos while I was out um, pre-NAM. I must have been to four or five different events where people have explained the Dolby Atmos workflows and um, object-oriented audio and all that sort of stuff. I learned more in 20 minutes actually watching a watching a session go past than I've learned in three or four hours of presentations by people who are theoretically good at doing presentations. Uh, completely aside, I know, but I mean, well, no, I, was it is totally, actually, I was totally blown away by Dolby Atmos, I have to admit. It's actually relevant because, I mean, the way I developed was that, you know, I would get dropped in the deep end, you know, the... The lead mix has fallen off his motorbike on the way in. You need to do the morning, the mix in the morning. And so you walk into a room which has been set up and the, the mix has been started by somebody else and you're, you're, you're hitting the ground running. Um, and, uh, yeah, you mean that, that, that's where you have to under, try and understand what the process is and then apply that into your own language. Um, and I've never known as graphic a demonstration of that as actually sitting and watching 
a Dolby Atmos session and understanding where everything's going and what's and what it's going through, seeing one that's pre-built um, and seeing everything working and whizzing around the room and everything like that. But that's the light bulb moment. That's when you suddenly go, okay, right, I've got it now. Let's fly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally got it. 20 minutes watching watching the um, the plugin in mm. the, the inside inside Pro Tools working. I went, oh, you know, it was that yeah. hallelujah moment. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. that That's the problem with the... Um, Nowadays, we don't really have the assistant structure. I know that you, James, have got the, your your assistant there. Who's yeah, that's great. I know that's really brilliant. But in a lot of the industry now, there is no assistant structure. There's no uh, residential studio assistant. There's no tape op, and they're not learning it in that way. So they're not getting their eureka moment. That's the thing. It's it's a it's a shame that the technology has actually driven that away. Because it's not like they're. Well, let's not let's not blame the technology. Let's blame budgets and all the sort of constraint and financial constraints and all that sort of stuff that we know the industry has been through, um, and continues to go through on an almost yearly basis. But that yet there are now more audio schools. There are more um, courses available. Be those online. Be those. Um, one week residentials, be they degree, diploma, call them what you will, and yet people still aren't learning the the absolute basics, um, gain structure, mic placement, all that sort of stuff. And again, Russ talks about this in the article. Getting back to the talking point, um, people just aren't learning it. Yes, I, I appreciate rules are made to be broken, but the whole point about rules is you learn them first. My perfect example for this is um, some things lend themselves to being talked about and um, taught, if you like, um, more than others. And uh, two really kind of regular sources of frustration for me um, over a long time in education was the number of people who teach mid-side, particularly mid-side miking, very little mid-side processing um, kind of happened in front of me, uh, but uh, mid-side miking, before they'd covered other stereo techniques, just kind of, you know, X, Y, A, B, you know, near coincident techniques, anything like that, straight onto mid-side because it's got this kind of like magic woo bit. Yeah, about. the wow factor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I mean, even just how to how to mic something in mono properly, you know, I mean, it's kind of really quite quite frustrating. Um, I really liked your drum stuff, James, because I said at the time you you it was almost like you'd been looking over my shoulder when I'd written my um uh, written my uh, studio uh, studio courses a few years ago because you did it in exactly the same order building it up from a single microphone but uh, and the other one is well uh, thank you very much <laughs> that's all right it's i mean it's you know yeah but it's it's like yeah you know you could can you record a drum kit with one microphone yes of course you can <laughs> but yeah but put a good drummer with a good kit in a good room and you, and you can do that and yeah. it'll be in phase yeah <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there is there is nothing else for it to be yeah, out of phase with. exactly with <laughs> uh, and the other one is is people and this is the really common one that used to come, particularly from you know people who kind of you know self-identify as producers, and they'd they'd talk to me about uh, about sidechain compression, and it became very clear that they didn't know how to use a compressor, and had started with sidechain compression, and that used to really really annoy me, 
but it's this it's this thing about how some subjects are, or some parts of subjects are perceived as being kind of uh, um, more interesting to convey i'm I'm avoiding using words like teach <laughs> uh, than others and the basics basic they, they, they are by definition basic and kind of less exciting to people but they're also the most important bits uh, again slightly off topic but hey you know it's it's talking points and uh, mm-hmm. we're talking i i think and i know it's probably always happened in the grand scheme of things but i think I, or rather, I don't believe that anyone was ever taught mastering, as in, a, a, in in a university or in a kind of college kind of situation. I mean, I remember not even knowing what mastering was, probably up until about six, seven, maybe ten, say ten years ago, not realizing there was there was this magical extra process in the the record production um engine that that we you know that we work in i i don't i don't remember anyone ever hearing anyone at college saying yeah i want to be a mastering engineer well it's interesting because i mean i suddenly got interested very interested in mastering when i mean i was a typical audio nerd early adopter of cds uh, when they first came out, and was really quite shocked at how some of the early releases, which were just taken straight from the Metal Masters, uh, were sounding. I mean, they're just sounding absolutely dismal. Um, at which point I started getting interesting on, well, let's have a look at the sleeve notes. Let's, let's find out what's going on here. Um, and then sort of delved a bit more deeply into it. And this is before I even entered the industry. So, um, you know, it, it was very apparent to me what, how important that was. But it isn't until you have that light bulb moment, until you realise, yeah, okay, this isn't the format that's at fault, it's the mastering. Again, it's about light bulb moments and working things out for yourself. And once you work things out for yourself, once it becomes almost second nature, then you can actually get on and do some fun creative stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think that's absolutely it. That is, it's that the light bulb moment, whichever area or aspect of our industry you work in that's that's the one i think that's i mean so i had a light bulb moment again in the last couple of three years with compression finally finally i get it Mm. i've only been playing this game for too many years and all of a sudden almost overnight and and it, it was the moment where i bought a hardware compressor where i bought an 1176 and i could i could actually see what was going on i went Oh, hmm. I've been able to describe what compression is and how it works and what it does, but actually hearing it and using it and to be able to get the effect of compression or the sound of compression, which are two very different things we know. Um, yeah, it was, it's a fairly recent revelation, if you like. I think, you know, I think, um, you know, I think part of the pressure is that, you know, I think we're all, uh, well, I think a lot of people who come into the industry or get into recording their own music or doing their own post or what have you, um, a lot of them are coming in today. They, they're really sort of under pressure to achieve results fast, whether it's doing it as a job or whether it's just doing it as a hobby. There is this pressure, get it done fast, get it done quickly, get it done easily. Um, and no, I mean, there's there, there's a process, there's a way to do it. 
Um, you know, and it involves an investment of your time into this. And the people who are best at it don't necessarily have to be the most academic. They don't necessarily have to be the, the brainiest. Um, you know, they might not know, uh, you know, what's going on underneath the console, really. You know, technically what resistors are feeding what op amps and what's going through what and what, go, what frequencies go through a capacitor and what don't and all this sort of stuff. But they know what they're doing. Um, it's intuitive. It's, it's like driving a car. It's like riding a bike. I mean, you know, if you stop to think about everything that's going on while you're driving your car or driving or riding your bike, you'd fall, fall off. off or crash. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is what happens to people sometimes, I think, if they get too embedded over with, with the theory uh, as well, if they become also meter watchers and they say, well, on the plug-in it's saying it's doing that or on the Pro Tools meters it's showing this. And no, 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 no. Okay, just because it's showing something like that doesn't mean it's doesn't mean that's the way it is that's the thing and these things all only come with experience and experience only comes with time um so I, yeah i think there's one that one of the one of the negative sides of the march of technology that we witnessed in the last 10 years or so is that there's more pressure on you know to get things done easier quicker one button click blah blah, blah do it on your phone um you know that's that to me is it's, that to me is just a sort of I suppose, psychological state of the industry, really, rather than anything else, or even just technology in general these days. Good points. Well made, gentlemen. I think we should park that one for now and move on to uh, competitions, Julian. Anything going on this month? Uh, we don't have any prize draw competitions this month, but don't forget to check out our win page to discover more opportunities to win pro audio software and gear from our partners in the partner win section on our win page. Talking point, the number two. Uh, Mike, more than anyone on the team, has done his very best over the years to try and debunk um, the different methods of buying Pro Tools and leasing it and all those sort of things. Uh, and it's come to this recent article, which went out on Thursday, buying a Pro Tools, which is better, perpetual license or the rental subscription? Um I'm going to dive in first on this one because I'm going to, again, light bulb moment, ching. Anyone think we plan these things? Hmm. Um, I am a new convert to subscription model. I'm a, I'm a, I, I get it. Again, I think when Avid first said they were going to over to a, there was a, they were going to offer a subscription model. I think I was one of the loudest naysayers on the team. Um, and I, I hated it. I hated the idea of it. I like to own my software. Yes, I know, I know we don't own our software. We license it, so don't go there. Um, but I get it. I totally get it. I've, I've had my epiphany. Um, I get it. I, I looked through this article and went, hmm, yes, it's okay. Three, three years. We probably all update. If we use software and it becomes that, part of our our workflow our dna we probably all update every three years or so um which is where the the rental subscription model makes sense uh how do you guys feel alan well i mean having been part of a larger company with multiple studios and such like that um, I mean, I had my epiphany. I had actually a good friend of mine who used to work at Avid gave me a call one day and said, you're going to hear rumours of a subscription model coming in. And I thought I would just give you a call and explain it before 
you know, you hear it from anybody else. Uh, and the way he explained it perfectly made sense, and it's all it's all worked out well, in my opinion. Actually, I think I'm I'm, I'm with you, James. I think it's 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 going rather well with you know certainly for Avid um, because of the way they implement it through iLock as well. Um, I mean, the subscription model isn't working so well for me with other products, but that's other products. So we, we, we're talking about Pro Tools. But the, um, <coughs> just as a studio, out of, with, purely out of curiosity, what are those other products where the model isn't working so well? For me, I mean, this is the thing. I'm, I'm talking about for me, really, rather than yep, other yep, people. We're, we're allowed. We're allowed to yeah. talk about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Adobe. Uh, Bingo! <laughs> Adobe Creative Cloud is the one that's the problem because what's I the problem with love, it, Alan? I would love it to be on an iLock. I am sick and tired of having to log out on one computer and log in on another. Absolutely sick and tired of it. Plus, also, um, they, if you, uh, I had the situation recently where I had to upgrade my laptop to High Sierra. Because the version of Premiere Pro that my Windows system had updated to on the cloud subscription automatically would not open... The, my, the, on my laptop with the Yosemite, it would not open the sessions from the updated version that was on my Windows system. Uh, because the operating system was too far out of date and they wouldn't, it wouldn't allow me to up, up install the latest version of Premiere. So... Uh, but yeah, that, but also just the signing in and out of computers. Yeah, it's real. It's a real, real bind for people who have more than one or even more than two systems. I mean, it sounds ridiculously flash for a, a one studio, one man operation to have three Pro Tools systems, but that's Not called at all. backup. I'm, I've got, I've, I've got three <laughs> running here as well. So, so it, it's. Um, but it, having been also part of the management team for larger studios and such like that, um, I'm, I can see the attraction. Um, with uh, the rental side of it, um, especially with the you know, Mike makes a good point in the flip, being able to flip it between capital expenditure and operational expenditure, uh, which is one of the oldest tricks in the book to try and get things past capex, which is the annual uh, statement on how much you're going to spend on your capital equipment and investment. Um, now I can see that if you say you've got ten Pro Tools systems, a saving of eight dollars. Uh, per protal system, per renewal, is actually going to work out quite attractive to the bean counters. Um, unfortunately, in my own setup, uh, which I, yeah, I said, one man band, one man, one studio, um, the volatility of the freelance market is such that you can have good and bad months, whether you're busy or not. And I'm like the confidence that my system is in my main form of my income is not suddenly going to be taken away from me because I've had a bad cash flow month. Um, you know, I've not been able to pay my rental. I know that I, you know, I, I prefer to be able to schedule that in, know that I have to save for it, make, put money aside for it, and it's going to happen at this point of the year. That's, that's, far, that's far safer. I feel far more confident with it that way. Julian, how about yourself? Hmm. Um, it's... Where I am with this is that, um, uh, I mean, everyone, I think, when they first were confronted with the idea of software subscription as opposed to whatever we're calling it, let's call it purchase with all those kind of things that go with that. But um, everyone was, was was a bit resistant. And uh, the first one I sort of became aware of was the Waves one. Um, and it was like, oh, no, I don't like the sound of that at all. 
However, there's a big difference here. And I mean, really, what it comes down to, I think, is there's a big difference between the way you pay and how much you pay. And if how much you pay is acceptable, then the way you pay becomes less important. So this is a really crucial thing about kind of like, let's not confuse the two, because if a product's too expensive, it's too expensive. It's not the fact that you're having to pay for it monthly or yearly or something. It's just costing you too much money. And if the value proposition isn't attractive, but you're deeply invested in a particular thing, then, you know, as we know, you know, we we are in, to some extent, kind of, you know, vulnerable to exploitation. Uh, because while we can leave and go somewhere else, not as many people who say, uh, as say they will actually do anything about that. But this reminds me of something that um, it's, it's it's a humorous story, but there is some element of truth in it, and it's about kind of like um, uh, commitment to a spend, and uh, it's this thing about kind of like. If something's paid for and it's not going anywhere, then you're good. And it doesn't matter what happens and it's a very uncertain world and all the rest of it. You've got that and you're fine. And I totally get that. And this is a thing that's, um, it's a bit like, um, uh, this kind of like, uh, I don't know, risk averse sort of like, oh no, don't go in too deep because you don't know what's going to happen down the road. Um, fueling, fueling my car. For years and years and years, I used to just kind of like, you know, top up often, uh, little and often, if you know what I mean. And someone was talking to me saying, look, you're wasting so much time just going and kind of sticking a little bit of, why are you doing that? Why don't you just fill it up? And I said, I'll tell you what, it comes from years of having a car where I didn't know whether or not the car was lo- was going to last as long as the petrol I put into it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yep, I know. And it's feeling. like, actually, it's all right. I'm pretty confident that the car I have is going to last the next tank of petrol i'm all all right you know and but there's a little bit kind of like about kind of yeah about that's about security and that's kind of what i'm saying and that's sort of what you were saying alan with your kind of like discomfort about having something so important and you want to get your you know ducks in a row or whatever about something that's as important as that because it is an uncertain world and you don't know exactly what the next you know few months is going to bring but i've got used to i've got used to um subscription by stealth frankly uh, just because uh i've i've accumulated them gently and they've kind of um, they're more services than than software really and it's uh i mean the first the first one was netflix and then kind of like slowly kind of like you know it's good it, it's it's coming up to christmas i might as well have my free month on amazon prime you know these kind of things and they don't really go away and you don't mind and they they've they've eroded my resistance to things like that um, we discussed your bank balance if you're not careful. Well, they they do, but it, you know you keep an eye on these things. But the the whole thing, and I think it's a thing that those kind of really consumer oriented companies understand is that if you make these things easy to join and easy to get off from, then you that resistance goes away. And the, this whole idea about getting someone and locking them into something is a very old fashioned way of looking at this stuff. And I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I think I've embraced that to some extent. If you want, if you want a month's worth of of, of Pro Tools, you can have it. I mean, when they first started renting the plugins as well, I actually used that quite several times, and it was really, really handy. So, I mean, that's really handy for if you're having to go to another studio or what have you, and you don't want to take your own iLock or plugins with you. You can rent one or get the studio to rent one as well, or yeah, instead. So. I mean that that side is really, really, really handy in in terms of that that respect. And I, I only wish actually that more plug-in manufacturers actually did that. 
uh, as well, because that's an excellent way to to get around it, and also an excellent way to decide whether you really uh, really want this piece of software or not. I think so. Anyway, I'm only concerned that we get to that there is the possibility we get to the stage where people are starting to talk about it with um, cars and car tax. The more you use it, the more you pay. I'm quite concerned that, that, that there's that kind of, there's the potential for that kind of, I'm not saying we're there yet by any stretch, but every time someone's mentioned it with car tax, oh, the, you drive on that road or that road, you'll be, you'll be charged more than if you drive, you know, just 25 miles a week or whatever. To be honest, on a car point of view, now I hardly drive anywhere. It doesn't make much difference. But I was thinking sure. that. I was- yeah, but I mean, this, that's the thing. I mean, um, I've just been in the position of having to uh, get an, a new um, fiber broadband connection and they had three levels of speed. And um, funnily enough, on the slowest speed, that was the only contract which you got uh, traffic throttling on. If you bought the two highest speeds available, it was completely unlimited. Whereas if you bought the slower speed, you were limited on how much traffic you could generate from your own system during peak hours. Now, that's the thing, because they're getting people to invest in the higher price product by promising that it won't be limited at all. And it's the same with Amazon Prime and things like that, with Spotify, what have you. You've got a fixed outgoing that... You know, you've got limitless downloads. You can download them, you know, locally or rent these things. It's all about bundling in um, uh, unlimited and in quotation marks within reasonable usage. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. So, um, so basically, if we if we're looking at charging for Pro Tools use, then I think they should do it on a uh, charging per bit because <laughs> that way, what we can do is we can really hammer people who are doing big Atmos mixes at one nine two and stuff, and then people who are just doing like stereo at forty four point one and be fine. <laughs> I have I have some articles and some videos coming out very shortly that yeah. will in, hopefully. Um, yeah, um, well, as yeah, someone who's this. just upgraded to Atmos Tune, I can tell you exactly where to stick that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to some community feedback. And this is sponsored by our friends at RSP Audio Solutions. The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices. There is finally an affordable way to get yourself some PMC studio monitors. PMC's new Result 6 is the result, see what I did there, of 26 years of painstaking development, bringing you PMC's patented technology and sound at an affordable price. Contact RSPE or visit the RSPE website using the link in the podcast notes to learn more about the Result 6 monitors. And you know what, boys? I've got some coming for review. They sounded lovely at now, and I'm hoping they sound lovely in here too. Uh, just the one this week, uh, and it's from Donald Hodgson, Donald Hodgson, who, if it's the same Donald Hodgson who I met a few years ago, is actually Sting's engineer. Um, so if it is, hello. Hmm. He won't remember me. Uh, and he says, just updated my support plan. <laughs> Funny how these things go, isn't it? Uh, it gave me two years, but I couldn't get the iLock to refresh, so I had to speak to Avid. 20 minutes on hold and spoke to someone. They weren't much use. 
eventually I got my iLock to refresh. But then Avid took the two years off and returned it just one. I just updated another account I look after and the same thing happened. Uh, it's not due to renew until 2020. I'm not letting Avid know that just yet. I think you might just have done that. Um, <laughs> seems like this happens a lot. Shame. 2018.1 is a good release, but they had to prove they're still annoying. Um, and that's from <laughs> Donald. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we're hearing a few of these little, um, anomalies about the update system. Um, yeah. If you find you've got two years worth, uh, I suspect that won't last very long. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, there has, this has been ongoing for years, actually. Um, I mean, I, I know at least three people who have, um, gained two independent licenses for, for Pro Tools when they've just bought one. Uh, especially if they've done an upgrade. Um, and then, you know, you sort of wait for it to go. You tip off Avid, tell them about it, and they say, "Oh, okay, yeah, we'll 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 try and get that back." And then it doesn't get taken away, and then you chase them again. They go, "You know what? Keep it," um, because anyway, it's on a subscription model now. Anyway, so it's only going to last you if if you've made, if you've been lucky enough to get a double subscription, you know, support plan and all their plugins and everything like that. And great, um, you use it for you use it for a year, but it is going to go. Definitely. Eventually. Yeah, indeed. Um, so let's, um, we've got time for some questions from the community. Uh, Julian, do you want to go first? Okay. Uh, we have Killian Fitzgerald's been in touch. Hello, all Pro Tools expert. I've an issue that's recently appeared. My setup is Pro Tools 11 HD with Anomaly HD. I've just installed a Big Ben clock to see if clocking might have been the issue. Audio plays off an SSD drive, about half full. I sometimes play rushes off a USB drive. I have various editors working on DX and FX tracks, as well as Foley sessions that come in. Recently, I've noticed tiny little clicks appearing in the audio clips. It seems to be just the DX audio, and I can see the clicks in the audio. I'm relinking to a copy of the rushes that the editor's working off. He doesn't have these clicks in his rushes. While I'm now using the brilliant Absentia DX to de-click, I am concerned that something's wrong with my hardware. Does anyone have any experience of this phenomenon? And are there any solutions that I might try? Many thanks. So, uh, Alan? Well, um, firstly, hello, Killian. Uh, long time no chat, because um, probably people don't know that I worked with Killian about 13 years ago at Oasis in Soho. But um, well, some might say. Ah. Anyway, personally... I would be suspicious, though, that clocking is the issue. Because to me, this suggests that at some point during the um, import session data process, your audio files are getting corrupted or not playing back correctly. Um, and that's the process where you bring all your dialogue and effects track lay tracks in together into your mix session from your sound editors. Um, I always find it safest to import tracks with the forced session format option enabled not set to refer or even copy, as otherwise simultaneously, otherwise you can find yourself playing back a variety of different bit depths and audio formats simultaneously, which is a recipe for things going a bit pear-shaped. So if you make sure all the audio on your Pro Tools session is playing from the same format, bit depth, bit depth and sample rate, then uh, plus all coming from the same drive also makes a big difference. It makes for much happier motoring in my experience. So, James, Dave Rate has written in. Uh, he says, good day, 
GOPTE sounds like a section of the US administration, but it actually means geniuses of Pro Tools Expert. Where? Firstly, I must thank you for your excellent site with its invaluable resources and particularly the podcast, which makes my Wednesday commute into London bearable. Well, I'm glad something does. I have a Mac cheese grater pimped to 12 core by those nice people you told us about. And I'm running 12.8 HD with an HD native card and an Omni IO. I also have a Sphere microphone and would love to track it through the UAD models, but... Would I need Thunderbolt to do this with enough low latency to, for it not to be noticeable? I believe my cheese grater will never be able to have Thunderbolt, so I'm looking for an alternative way to do this. My sessions are never more than 50 tracks with a mix of Waves and UAD plugins, although I do use quite a few VIs. I was listening to you saying how good the Mac Mini was for mixing and was wondering if you thought the following would work. Keep the 12 core for VI use and use Vienna Ensemble Pro to connect this to a Mac Mini with a UAD interface via Thunderbolt for recording and mixing. I would probably need a chassis to house my UAD quad and HD native PCIe cards. Is there a better way to do this? I wait for the new Mac Pro. This is probably going to be super expensive if the iMac Pro is anything to go by. Last thing you need to know is I do not want the word Windows to feature in any suggested solutions. Oops. Well, thanks again for all that you do, and please keep doing it. Cheers. Sir James. What do you think? Um, right, okay. I will let you know right now. I am tracking using the sphere with no mention of the word Thunderbolt. Sorry, I can't say the word not Windows because I am using Windows machine these days, but I don't think that will make any difference because I'm still using my HDX rig to use um, the sphere system. Uh, the way I'm doing it is I'm using... Um, and this is the important bit with Sphere, using digitally controlled preamps. So you can match the two gain settings from the front and back diaphragm. That's the important bit. I I think the process of getting it into um, whichever I.O. format you use, I don't believe is relevant here. Uh, if I, I could be doing exactly the same thing on my Mac Pro as I am on my Windows PC. <gasps> there it was again. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, all I'm doing is I'm using a digitally controlled preamp into uh, my desk, running into Pro Tools, and I'm just using the normal way I would configure um, non-HDX plugins to monitor in real time. I'm, I'm busting out to a... Um, an, an AUX channel, running it through and running it back. Uh, with latency down low enough, you don't hear it. You don't hear it. You don't feel it. Uh, bear in mind, you don't actually have to track with Sphere models on at all. You could you could just record both front and back diaphragm and apply the models afterwards. In fact, that's normally what I do because because you can. You can choose the microphone after the event. Um. So, yeah, actually, I, I hope I've saved you an absolute ton of cash there because you don't have to spend any. Use the mic pre's that are on your Omni, I think he said he's got, hasn't he? Use the two, the two mic pre's on the Omni, uh, link them together, make sure they're uh, digitally set to whatever you need them to be, uh, record and apply the... Record to a stereo track and apply the sphere magic later on. Much easier. So, so James, question though, in that case, you're using these digitally controlled pre's so that yes. you can match gains between the two preamps yes. precisely. Yes. 
Well, in that case, if that's all it is, and you just need a standard, appropriate um, mic preamp, um, the sphere. I've I've yet to even see a sphere in the flesh, but it's got uh, two. Co- it's got two capsules mounted. It has two correct? capsules, and hence two. And, and which in this case, through it has two separate, two, two separate XLRs. Yes. Right. So in that case, you could do it using non-digitally controlled mic preamps, you just can by do. inverting the polarity of one of them, and then just. Balance, do, doing it carefully, no, set one actually, of them right. You don't even need to do that because Sphere has a switch on it for calibration, oh. which sends the front diaphragm down both cables. So if you're just talking into it, you can set the gain absolutely accurately. But that is a... a, even, the a guys faff. At, <laughs> even the guys at Sphere say this is not... It's a faff. It's not the endorsed way of doing it. The endorsed yeah, yeah. way of doing it is to use digitally controlled pre's. Sure, um, which are kind of pretty easy to get hold of. These yeah, days. I mean, let's face it, your Apollo's got them. Your, your Apollo Twins got digitally mm. controlled pre's. I'm, I, mm. I happen to be using a TechnoSign uh, Gain mic pre, which I reviewed a few a, a little while ago. Um, yeah. It, I, I don't. I don't think that the Thunderbolt thing. I don't think your latency thing is. Is I think that, that could be a bit of a red herring in this particular question. Because um, the latency will be the same for both capsules of the mic. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and if you don't want to monitor the reverse capsule, re- record onto two mono channels, re- monitor through just the front, the front diaphragm, and then jump onto a stereo track later on, and then add the Sphere plug-in, plug-in from UAD. Um, hopefully. That helps, hopefully, Dave. Uh, if it doesn't, get back to me. You know how to find us. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you are ever trying to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you will know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser with no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. It's time for Find of the Week! Uh, Julian, do you want to go first? Uh, okay, I, I bought a thing, uh, which Ooh, I don't do an often. actual thing, an actual you, thing. You didn't thing steal one like, this time. No, 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 no. But um, no, I'm uh, I am uh, I bought an electric guitar because I got a parking ticket, and I was so <laughs> upset. I was so incandescent with fury at getting this parking ticket. Ten minutes after, ten minutes late at nine o'clock in the evening in a week. Oh, that is harsh. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> but um, I was so angry that I thought sod it. So I, I bought an electric guitar, which um, actually it's the which first made time you an hour I've... and a half late. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've ever bought an electric guitar. It's quite it's quite interesting. I've had electric guitars, but I've kind of acquired them. Haven't nicked them. <laughs> the last one actually, I was gi- I was I was given by a friend who was emigrating to Australia. And he, he found it in his garage and said, "Do you want a guitar?" But um, no, I, I bought an electric guitar because um, uh, I haven't got a functioning one or didn't have one. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm no good at playing the electric guitar. I play the acoustic quite a lot, and because of that, I'm terrible at playing the electric guitar because I play it way too hard. But I'm. I'm trying to learn. And um, yeah, so Squire Vintage Modified Strat, three hundred quid, and it's so much guitar for the money. It is ridiculous. Those vintage so, yeah. guitars are really good playable instruments. 
I'm very impressed. Um, it was it was that. I think next one up's uh, classic vibe. I think, but the Squires. I, I have no brand loyalty with this kind of thing, and uh, yeah, I just thought, why not? And I bought a guitar over the internet, which is a thing you're not supposed to do. But for a 300 quid guitar, how bad can it? How badly wrong can it go? <laughs> you know, if I was spend if I was spending proper money, yeah, I'd go and find it in person. But this one, yeah, can't fault it. So that's mine. Um, I don't, know, Alan, have you got one? Yeah, well, um, I've been discovering 360 degree, well, actually 180 degree video, but um, not in any uh, production aspect, but in a set of IP cameras by, um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the brand, Acfly, which I found on Amazon. Um, they're tiny little um, IP Wi-Fi webcams with internal storage as well. And uh, they have a 180 degree field of vision. Um, and it's captured in that format as well. So when you're playing back footage, which has been triggered by motion or what have you, uh, you can pan, you can zoom in, pan around the image and what have you. And it's brilliant for security. But the real find of it was that these, these little beauties are only about 30 quid each. Um, so if you are looking to install some cheap security to your studio or house, or, uh, even if you just need to keep an eye on things, which is why I bought them, then, um, yeah, I think that's a real no-brainer to go for these. So that's my final week. I, I can, if you put the link in the show notes, uh, we can put that up. I can think of a brilliant reason for buying one of these right now. Mm-hmm. Baby monitor camera. Funny enough, that's the image on the Google, on the Amazon page. <laughs> <laughs> because I we found, because obviously we have two of children, um, we couldn't get a, a a conventional video monitor with a wide enough field of vision for both cots. Yeah, when they're asleep. And I'm sorry, I am not going to buy two. That's just ridiculous. I have two children who are trying to eat me out of out of home house and home twice. I'm not going to b- <laughs> buy anything else. I've said stereo. that now, haven't I? <laughs> my, ste- my my stereo matched pair, as someone once called them. <laughs> But no, that sound. That, I think that. I think yeah. I'll um. I'll find the link and uh, get that over to you definitely because I think we've both we, we we both have things we need to keep eyes on at the moment. So uh, yeah, they're a great tool for that. But they're also great for if you need some uh, security for your studio and, and and such like that. James, what is your find of the week? Um, a little while ago, uh, in fact, but back in 2017, I was privy to get a first look at Universal Audio's Ox box, the amp top box, their reactive load amp, uh, speaker room simulation box type thing. Um, once again, I got a good old gander at it at NAM, and I said, please send me one for review. Please send me one for review. And I think they got the message because one arrived last week and it's awesome it is absolutely kin excellent um it really does sound good i mean it sounds like i'm playing my even my little um chandler gav 19 watt guitar um tube amp it sounds like i'm wailing through huge martial stacks or in in fantastic sounding studios and uh, it's just it's great fun it's really really versatile lots going on um, as we say all too often on this p- particular part of the um, podcast, review to follow. <laughs> so on that um, reactive load, if you will, it's good night from me. It's good night from me. 
and it's good night from me. Good night. <laughs>